You are listening to the Long Hollow Podcast. For more information on Long Hollow or to watch a video version of this podcast, visit www.longhollow.com. The message today is we have found the enemy and he is me. (laughs) We found the enemy and he is me. You know, I've learned a lot about raising two boys and one of those is humility. Anybody with me about being a parent, right? God has a sense of humor when he gives you children. My mom likes to call it payback. Uh, Candy and I have learned having two boys that um, it's the job of a parent to teach them the difference between right and wrong. But we learned early on, we didn't have to teach them how to do wrong. We just had to teach them how to do right because they inherently knew how to do wrong, right? Like even out the womb, they would say, that one's mine, or uh, I want that. Or if you have two boys within two years of each other, they fist fight over things, right? Um, By God's grace, thankfully, we're starting to see some glimmer of hope with uh, selflessness and humility and service. But you know, when I go to correct my boys and I'm frustrated with them, the Lord reminds me, you're selfish too, right? Like, like just because we're adults, quote, we don't grow out of selfishness. We don't grow out of wanting things our own way at the time we want them and the manner we want them to happen in. And so what Paul's gonna tell us today in this text is he's gonna show us that division in a church is disastrous and that we as church members should strive for unity and he's gonna give us the antidote for division. It's one word, you can write it down. The antidote for division is selflessness. Selflessness, when you put others and God before you, you'll see unity in the community of faith. And so if you have a Bible, I hope you do, turn with me to the book of Philippians. We'll start in chapter two, uh, verse one, Philippians chapter two, verse one. We like to say word at Long Hollow, so if you're there, you can say word today. The word of the Lord. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. He's saying, if if you've experienced any of those things, then make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Paul, right out the gate, is gonna teach us that we need to, first of all, pursue unity in the body of Christ. Pursue unity in the body of Christ. Now, Paul's gonna challenge us to do that by motivating us with four things that we have as believers. And it's really right in the text, right? If you look at Philippians chapter two, he starts off with the first one, if you're taking notes. And that is, if you've ever experienced encouragement in Christ. Now, you're probably saying, what does that mean? Have you ever felt like the Lord lifted you up by his spirit when you were down? Anybody? Have you ever felt the presence of God in a, in a tough situation? Have you ever experienced peace that you can't explain to another person? I think we all have if we're Christians, right? Number two, if you have any comfort of his love. Basically what he's saying is, everyone else may leave you, but Christ will not leave you, right? I mean, you think about it. Jake from State Farm has nothing on Jesus, right? Like a good savior, Jesus is always there, amen? I mean, that's what he is. He's always there, he never leaves you. Number three, our participation with the Holy Spirit. And what he's talking about here is much more than fellowship, although the word is fellowship there. It actually can be translated as participation. 
Now, at the moment of salvation, you and I were filled with the Holy Spirit. At that moment, we didn't do anything to earn our salvation. But at that moment, we are on this journey of what's called sanctification, which is this. It's a participatory act where we cooperate, cooperate, it's a big word, cooperate with the Holy Spirit, right? So salvation is a divine act or monergistic single act of God, but sanctification, the journey of the Christian life, is a cooperation with the Holy Spirit. He says, if you're on that journey, number four, and have the affection of Christ. And what he's saying here is, if you've ever been shown compassion from God, if you've ever experienced the mercy of God. See, the challenge for us, the longer we are believers, and the the more time that extends from the point of salvation in the past and the duration of time in the present, it's very easy for us to forget that we deserved hell and still deserve hell because we're sinners. But because of Christ, we have a spot in heaven and a filling of the Holy Spirit today. We we tend to forget that we used to be isolated and alone from God, aliens to the kingdom of heaven, and yet we have intimacy with Christ today. I wanna teach you a, a principle that Paul is going to teach us, and that is this. Paul's gonna show us how we can have fellowship and and unity in the community. He says, write this down, your vertical alters your horizontal. Okay, so the vertical alters your horizontal. I'll say it this way. Your relationship with God affects every relationship with other people around you, every one of them. Uh, I learned this uh, to be true in a marriage, It's true in friendships, it's true in staff relationships, it's true in dating relationships, it's true in church relationships. Uh, If you don't have a good relationship with another person, then I would question your relationship with God. The the vertical alters the horizontal. This week I met with a pastor uh, who'd been pastoring for about 35 years and he told me the story that at year 20 in the ministry, he said, I almost lost my marriage. He said, and my family as well. At the time, he said he had, he had three girls. Two were in high school. One was in middle school. And so he said, we went to this older couple in our church. They weren't on the pastoral staff, but they were an older couple in the church. And he said, we went to them for counseling for our marriage. And he said, the whole time we met with them, that's all they talked about was our personal, intimate relationship with Christ. And the guy who was sitting there said, man, I was wondering, when is this pastor gonna get on with it and fix this marriage? Like if this woman would just listen to me, I mean, you know, things would go right, he said, right? And then the wife, he said, would say, you know, if if we would just fix this man, then the marriage would be right. And so they were thinking, when are we gonna fix each other? But the whole time he just kept saying, listen, this relationship first starts with this relationship. And he said, amazingly, after a few months, their marriage began to be repaired. And he said, we're closer today than we ever have. And the pastor and the wife learned a biblical principle I want you to get. The heart of the problem is a problem of a heart condition with God. That's your problem. See, the heart of your problem is a problem of the heart or a heart condition before God. Listen, the reason you're not the father God's created you to be is because you're not walking with Christ. 
The reason you're not the mom you could be is because you're probably not walking with Christ. The reason you're not the student who's making an impact on your campus is because you're probably not intimately walking with Christ. The reason your marriage is not where it should be or could be is because you're not walking with Christ. I mean, I've counseled enough marriages and seen enough marriages that fall apart or restored to know this one thing. A marriage does not dissolve overnight, right? It's a slow fade of inattention to small problems with the covenant partner that you made an agreement before God and to one another. It's a series of little cuts that cause you to ignore so that later you bleed out and die. That's how it works. It's just little cuts along the way. And when problems in a marriage arise or problems in friendships or problems in relationships or problems in the church become unaddressed, then what happens is they become unscalable mountains you cannot climb later. Well, what are the problems? Unspoken hurts that were caused by the spouse. Past trauma. Coarse words that were said in a moment of anger. Family dynamics of a, of a family or a father-in-law or a mother-in-law or a family member that's speaking or a mom or a dad who just continues to speak into the marriage, although it's separate from their home. Church dynamics can be a play in relationships, politics in the church, gossiping church members, backhanded comments on Facebook, snarky messages on Twitter, uh, unforgiveness, toward another person, passive aggressive behavior in the church, and a host of a thousand other issues that we avoid or keep quiet or we sweep under the rug. You gotta understand, unspoken, unaddressed issues in your marriage are like burying someone alive only to have them return years later at the worst possible situation. That's how it works. And so instead of responding, <laughs> You know, it's, it's okay, babe, it's not worth fighting over. It's better for you to say to them, you know what, honey, <laughs> I love you too much not to tell you how you've hurt me. Now, I'm not suggesting you go home from church today and put all the dirty laundry on the bed, okay? So don't, don't think that. But what I'm saying is, here's what I want you to get. What the enemy is attacking today in our country is the marriage family structure. That was the same structure God set up in the garden. It's the same attack he did back then. And what is the most intimate relationship a human being can have outside of the relationship with God? It's the covenant relationship of marriage with your spouse. And to not see your spouse as a treasure is a tragedy today. So if you're having problems, look at me. Go talk to someone. Seek help. To seek help from a counselor doesn't mean you're weak, it means you're wise, right? Because you'd rather do something about it than to give an account for it later. Now listen, if you've had a marriage and it's gone bad or there's been a divorce and you're remarried, let me encourage you, be faithful to the person you're married to today. Long time fidelity today. And let's be honest, marriage is a picture of the church, right? Because the church is a marriage, in a sense, like we are, marrying together, covenanting together to carry out the great commission. And this is why when there are issues in our church of division, I mean, that's all Paul speaks about in the New Testament. 
This person is divisive, get, them, get rid of them. If this person's causing problems, talk to them. If this person is an issue, bring them in. God, I want you to see, God does not deal lightly with division in his church. Satan's greatest fishing pond is a divisive church or a divisive marriage. Look at me. I say this with a lot of love today. If you're being divisive in our church or any church, I'm gonna ask you to stop it. For the love of God, stop it. Now, you're probably saying, well, how do, how do I do that? Well, Paul tells us the way you stop it is by putting others above yourself, which is the second insight he gives. You need to pursue unity, and the way you pursue unity is to put others first. Look what he says in chapter two, verse three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his or her own interest, but rather to the interests of others. See, this concept baffled the Greeks. You gotta, you gotta understand, the Philippians in Greece were influenced by Hellenism and Romanism and Alexander the Great and this empire of being unstoppable. And they viewed humility as subjection or weakness. This is a way to think of it. Because the Greeks elevated humanity, they despised humility. The human body, the reason the Greeks ran the games naked, by the way, is not because they were trying to get faster. Thin shirts do not slow a man down, okay, let's be honest. The reason they ran naked is because this was the apex of all creation, the human body. Humanity was all about them. Burger King had it right for them. Have it your way, right? Uh, by the way, you know, the theme song of hell is what? I did it my way, right? I mean, that's, I mean that's, that's the Greek world. It's all about them. So this concept of hum humility was a foreign concept. They despised it. But Paul's gonna contrast conceit with humility. Conceit is just to be conceited in oneself. It's another word for vanity. It's all about you. Whereas humility is a focus on other people. You can say it this way. Everyone in here either lives selfishly or selflessly. Okay, that's the way to do it. Let me give you two other words, and these will kind of uh, be the words we use from here on out. There's the difference between affluence, A-F-F, affluence and influence. It's a concept, write this down every time. It's a concept to think about. Affluence and influence. Affluence is this idea of something gaining abundance, something flowing to you. You can have affluence, but you might not necessarily have influence on another person. Think of it this way. Affluence is abundance flowing to you. It's gaining things for you, whereas influence is is things flowing from you toward other people. Affluence is acquiring stuff. Influence is affecting change. Affluence is the one who gets the credit for it. Influence is about giving credit to other people. You see the difference here? And one of the ways we see this is in, is in Nashville. I mean, it, it, it's not uncommon to go down to, to, to Broadway or go down to the city and walk through the streets and see someone who's a movie star or a country music singer. I remember when we first got here, we took the boys to Dave and Buster's and ran into Keith Urban. I'm like, wow, Keith Urban, you know, that wasn't uncommon. I mean, you go down 
Tana, you see music stars or actors, and actors uh, are about affluence, right? Because it's about them. An actor is successful in, 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 the, in the movie world, so they're gaining notoriety for them. It's about their fame. It's about what they do. It's about them. It's acquiring things. They have a lot of things. The actor has a lot of affluence when he goes out in public or she goes out in public. They get their picture taken. Everybody wants to be with them. Everybody wants to get an autograph from them, right? I mean, that's affluence. But an actor, follow this, doesn't necessarily have influence. The person who influences the actor is the movie studio. The movie studio has the influence. What do I mean? They tell the actor what movies he's in. They tell the actor what lines he says, and they tell the actor what to do. They basically show us that a person can have great affluence, but they might not have influence. Let me ask you, you may have affluence, but the question is, do you have influence? And the problem with affluence is that you start to think it's all about you, right? And you let pride sneak into your life because you say, man, I want a big following. I want a, I want a big platform. I want people to recognize me, right? You want, you want people to retweet treat your tweets. You want people to like your posts. You want people to read your blogs. You want people to buy your books. You want people to get you to speak at conferences. You want people to hire you for events. And you start to make it about you, but you realize that, is that affluence or am I making influence on people? Or am I having influence? Now, we don't have to look far to see what Jesus had. The question is, did Jesus have affluence or influence? And the answer is he had very little affluence in the world, but he had a lot of influence. Luke chapter two, verse 52 says, Jesus grew as a child in wisdom and in stature. Remember this? And in favor with God, favor with men. That word favor is the word for influence. Jesus influenced men and he influenced God. Jesus influenced earth and had an influence in heaven, but he didn't have much affluence. What do I mean? When someone said, hey, we'll follow you, Jesus said, look, I don't even have a home. I don't even have a P.O. box. I don't have a residence, right? I don't even have a place to meet for worship. In fact, I have to borrow a coin to tell an illustration with Peter. I have to borrow a donkey to come into town. I even have to borrow a tomb to be buried in. Jesus had very little affluence, but he had great influence where he changed the course of human history. Think about it. Affluence really is about optics, the way you look. Influence is about impact. And here's what's cool about influence. Influence actually outlives you. When you're long gone, the influence you have will be talked about after you die. One of the ways we influence is through generosity in giving. Here's a question to think about. I don't think it's an accident that this falls on the day of our fall offering which I didn't plan that when I planned the series and I didn't know where specifically I'd be, but we land right here and I think it's the timing of the Lord. But here's what's interesting. What if God allowed you to have affluence so that you can influence the kingdom through your generosity and giving? You ever thought about that? Apparently the fall is fundraising season. Anybody got invited to a fundraiser recently? Anybody? We've been to... Uh, are been or, or given to and participate in three in the last two months, right? And we love them because we get to hear what God is doing in our community and our church and around the country. I participated in um, 
Recovery Refuge. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we were at the FCA banquet here this week, participated with Full Count not long ago, and it's amazing. You get to hear opportunities that we can partner with financially and support what they're doing, not only here, but all over the world. And Candy and I listened to that, and we gladly gave to, to every one of them. We thought, wow, we want to be a, a part of this. And as I was filling out my pledge card, I looked around, and I noticed that there were a lot of people from Long Hollow there. Some of you were there at some of these banquets. But in comparison to the number of people that come to our church, in comparison to those who are there, I realized that many, many of you were not there. But if you were there, you would say, man, this is awesome. I would support this ministry. I wanna get behind this ministry. We always say this at Long Hollow, but I think it's more meaningful now when you hear it. We always say when you give to Long Hollow, you don't give to Long Hollow, you actually give through Long Hollow, right? And what that means is you don't have to actually be at the banquet to support these ministries because in our budget, we do. And the challenge as we come to this fall offering is, and I'm not saying we shouldn't give to ministries because there's a lot of them we give to. But what I'm saying is don't give to ministries and neglect the ministry that ministers to your family every single week here at Long Hollow. Because if everyone gave the way you did to the local church, could we do the ministry God's called us to? That's why we like to say, I hope everyone participates in the fall offering so that we all can celebrate on the back end, amen? Now, one of the ways you finally gain affluence is through pride, and the way you gain, and this is cool, the way you gain influence is through humility. Stark differences. Now, you may be wondering, Pastor, what is humility? Humility, I heard one person say, is not thinking less of oneself. Humility is just not thinking of oneself at all, right? Just not thinking of yourself at all. And I've shared this before, but that's one of the things I've struggled with in my own life is pride. I had the opportunity um, this earlier this year, I was invited to go speak at the convocation service uh, of Liberty University. If you're familiar with Liberty University, it was started by a man named Jerry Falwell, and Jerry left it to his sons. His son, Jonathan Falwell, has been a friend of Candy and mine uh, for almost a decade now, and he invited me to come speak there, and it was an amazing opportunity. And if you know anything about Liberty University, it's the largest university in the world right now with its online uh, students. And so it was a pretty awesome opportunity. And after I'd spoken the Convocation Chapel, I went back to his office and we were meeting with him for lunch. And he began to tell us about all the different speakers that he had in there. And I'm talking about presidents and congressmen have spoken there and authors and senators and pastors and leaders and so he started to tell us, and we got on the subject of pride, and he started to tell us something that was really unsettling. He said, do you know, and, and we took Colin and Stephanie, and Candy and I went, and we were sitting there at lunch, and he said, you wanna know who are the most arrogant and prideful ones who have ever come through the convocation at Liberty? And we said, no. He said they were the pastors. It's the pastors. And some of the students were at the table there and we asked them, we said, did you see this? And they said, you know, Pastor Robbie, they said, it's crazy because we've looked up to these people for years. We've looked up to them from afar. We've seen their ministry. We've read their books. We've done their Bible studies. But the closer we got to them in person, the more we were let down. And Jonathan Farwell 
said this line, I've never forgotten it since then. He said, Robbie, here's what I've learned. When it's all about you, it's all about over. <laughs> it's a good line. When it's all about you, it's all about over. And we know people like this in our life. And uh, like I said, pride is something that I have struggled with uh, all of my life. Uh, I, can, I can look way back to when I was a child, just the desire I've always had, even at an early age, to be, to be appreciated and to be affirmed. It goes back to my childhood. And when I came to Long Hollow, you know, following a, a beloved pastor here for about 18 years, I, I felt the pressure, if you can imagine, to be accepted. Um, just kind of a backstory coming into Long Hollow. Both of the churches I had the privilege of pastoring, one in Louisiana and then one in Chattanooga, by God's grace, grew numerically and financially year over year. So it was always up and to the right. And honestly, looking back at, at that time, it was easy for me in the back of my mind to think, you know, God and I make a good team. You know, I mean, we really do good together, you know, in the back of my mind. And all of that changed when I came to Long Hollow for the first time. Why? Because I came into a church seven years ago that was three times the size, two and a half times the size of the church I left. And I came into a church that for years before that had broken every quote record in the church world. I mean, salvations and baptisms and uh, growth and attendance and year over year increases. And so there wasn't much in, in a sense that I could impress Long Hollow with. And so for a guy who seeks approval, I mean, it was unsettling for years for me. Everything I thought I could bring here to, to connect was actually a disconnect for me. I thought, yeah, they'll be impressed that I have a PhD. I mean, that, that, that should impress them, but it didn't, it didn't impress any of you. Uh, none of you were impressed that I was an author of many books. Nobody cared about that. Nobody cared that I'd preached at events around the country. Nobody cared that uh, I had a Twitter following or an Instagram. Nobody cared about any of those things. And what I realized was, even then I couldn't see it, but the problem for me was that the line between the platform of Robbie and the advancement of the cause of Christ was blurred even to me. You know, I look back and I think, God sent me here to pastor a church and make disciples. But now I realize God sent me here to get another degree in the school of humility. I'm still in, by the way, I hadn't graduated yet. <laughs> and what I realized is that I thought I came here to help Long Hollow. But I realized that I needed Long Hollow more than you needed me. And I always talk about the 10 months on the porch leading up to the revival of 2020. It was so life-changing, so life-altering. God began to show me issues in my life and pride and arrogance I didn't see. And on that porch, God revealed to me a principle I wanna give you. And this is really the principle that, that, that changed everything for me. Here's what God showed me. God will not share the stage with anyone. I'll say it another way. God will not share the stage with you or me. And God showed me that when we step forward, God steps back in life. And he's like, no, you got it. I'll be out here if you need me. But when we step back in humility and let God have front and center stage, then things go a whole lot better. God's honored and the ministry's advanced. And God showed me this truth at the end of this journey, kind of in a tangible way. And 
you know, I went back and forth this week. Do I, do I share this with you? Do I not share this with you? Because it's like I'm going to brag to you about how humble I've been, right? So let me just, so I went back and forth. Do I share this? Is it going to come across right? But at the end of the day, I talked to my team and they said, you know what? You're just being transparent with the church. I hope you hear it the right way. But earlier this year, I said I had the privilege of preaching at the Liberty Convocation. Uh, the Liberty Convocation is the largest gathering of students in, a, in the world, uh, college students in the world. 14,000 students gather there every week to worship the Lord. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, in the past, the, 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 the pre-revival Robbie would have relished in the moment. I mean, I would have posted perfect pictures of me on stage or on the platform preaching on Instagram and Twitter. Now, I would have couched it with enough tack so that you would have seen it with this line. I'm so honored to preach here. You ever seen those preached by people before? So honored to be at this event, or I'm excited to preach here. Done that myself. But I didn't do that, and this is the first time any of you are hearing that I even preached there. And, and the reason I even tell you now is because I knew back then if I put myself center stage, God would step back. And I knew the only reason a former drug addict, alcoholic, former Catholic who was separated from God and had no relationship was even there is because of God. I knew that. And so I got up and I preached this sermon and I preached on my personal change and I preached on the revival at our church and I said this line, I said, if you're here today, I want you to examine your heart to see if you're the blood clot to revival coming to this campus, your church, your life, your family. And the reason I know that you could be the blood clot is because I was the blood clot to my church. And then I challenged all the students. I said, I don't know if we do this here. I'm not familiar with how this works, but I'm gonna invite you to come and to pray and to place yourself on the altar before God. And I got on my knees and I knelt down and I began to, to pray and I asked the students to come forward. I didn't look to really see who came forward. I prayed and as I finished praying, I walked off the stage and I went backstage. And I didn't notice the, the response at the time and I went backstage. You could see, you could see the place. I, I walked back off the stage and I went backstage and there was a curtain in front of me in the arenas to the left of me. And again, I can't see any of this. And I'm just overwhelmed by the palpable presence of God. And uh, I'm just praying in the moment and just kind of enjoying the moment with God. And as I'm praying, a guy taps me on the shoulder. And he says, hey, uh, pastor, I don't mean to bother you, but I want to ask you a question. Have you seen the response out there? And I said, no, I, I hadn't seen it yet. He said, I've been here a long time. He, he told us earlier, he was there 15, 20 years. He said he was the old guy. A lot of these young college students are younger, but he said, I've been here 20 years. And he said, I've rarely seen students respond like they're responding right now. Praying for revival, praying for revival in their homes, on their campus. And when he left, I just sat there. I was just overwhelmed by the grace of God. I still didn't see what the response was, but I was overwhelmed by the grace of God. And I looked up and here's what I saw. It impacted me so much that I pulled my phone out and I took a picture of what I saw. And what you're seeing here is, this is the curtain that leads to the stage. And there's a sliver of light that's just coming through the curtain. And in that sliver of light is, a, is an arrow. And if you were to stand over the arrow, it's like a, a reflective tape that people can see what direction the stage is. And if you read on the arrow, it has the word stage, stage. 
And as I looked at that, the Lord spoke to me as clear as day. He said, Robbie, if you keep giving me the stage, I'll keep using you. Notice this, I'm in the darkness, totally. The stage and the arrow are in the light. He showed me if you keep staying in the dark and you put me in the light, I'll keep using you. And I shared this with our staff. I came back and I showed them this picture with our staff and I said, you know, it's cool how God gave me this visual image. And then one of my staff members afterwards said, did you see what's in the picture? I didn't see it at the time. He said, the picture actually has a cross in it. The light is in the image of a cross. And what a great reminder for us, right? When we lift the cross of Jesus up and we humble ourselves, he uses us, right? I wanna, I wanna give you this challenge one more time. God will not share the stage with you. Friends, humility, I'm learning, is the access card to the riches of heaven. Humility is the doorway to change. The Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I don't know about you, but I could sure use a lot more grace, amen? If God's dispensing, I'm receiving. I believe this, and um, I see it all through scripture. Every sin in your life and mine can be traced back to pride, every sin. Why? Because when you're prideful, you put God below you. You put others below you. When you're humble, you put others above self. And so I wanna ask you a couple diagnostic questions today to see where you are with the Lord. Number one, are you the blood clot, look at me, to revival in your home, your marriage, our church, or our community? Are you the problem? And if so, in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to come and just be before the Lord and present that to him. Number two, do you worry more about your appearance than your impact on others? Do you worry about your appearance more than your impact on others? Number three, do you put more weight on your image and too little weight on your identity in Christ? Who, who you are in Christ affects how you live before him and before others. Number three, do you spend more time looking successful than actually being successful? That's one that give you a checkup from the neck up, right? <laughs> I know I've been there. You wanna look successful rather than being effective for the kingdom. And finally, I'll close with this one. Are you seeking the approval of, of uh, the applause of man over the approval of God? Are you seeking the applause of man over the approval of God? Now, I know as you study this, there are some of you who are saying, well, pastor, that's me. I know the Lord Jesus, I have a relationship with him, but I have made it about me. And the lines between the, the, the advancement of the kingdom and my personal platform are very blurred right now. And so in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to come, make these steps an altar and just bow down before the Lord. But I wanna pray for you in a group this size, because I know there are some of you, look at me, who realize that you want influence in your family, you want influence in your marriage, you want influence in the world. And here's the, here's the principle. You cannot influence others until you've been influenced by Jesus, okay? Until Jesus is the captain of your life, until Jesus is the one leading the charge, then you'll never influence others the way God created you to. So in, 
So in just a moment, I'm gonna pray over you and I'm just gonna pray God's blessing over your life so that you'd be influenced by him. And so just wanna pray over you. Would you bow your head for just a moment? And if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I'm unsure if I'm being led by the Lord. I don't feel like I'm being influenced by Christ. I'm being influenced more by the world. But I wanna be the husband or the father, the mother or the wife. I wanna be the, the, the student, the grandparent that God's called me to be. But I'm not influenced by Jesus. Friends, I wanna challenge you right now. When you surrender to Christ, God does more in a moment than anybody can do in a lifetime. And many of you for a long time have been running from the Lord Jesus. And today's the day that I'm gonna challenge you to surrender to him. If that's what you feel like the Lord is leading you to do, I wanna pray over you specifically and individually right now. And so the way you're gonna to respond to that is just slip your hand up right where you are and just say, Pastor Robbie, you're speaking directly to me. Would you pray over me right now to be influenced by God? Thank you, brother. Anyone else? Just slip your hand up, hands all over. Anyone else? Thank you, sister. Hands all over. Anyone in the balcony? Praise God. Anyone in the back? Maybe a single mom, single dad. Amen. Thank you, brother. Anyone else? I want to be influenced by the Lord. You know, the Bible says, and I read this this week, if you hear the voice of God, do not harden your heart. So if you're hearing the voice of God, would you just slip your hand up just a moment longer? Just slip your hand up. Pastor Robbie, pray for me. Thank you, brother. If you slip your hand up at any time, just slip it up real quick right now. Extend it at the elbow because I want to pray over you. And if your hand's up, you can look, just look at me for a moment. No one but those raising hands. If you raise your hand, you put your hand down, just look at me. Just look at me for a moment. Just for a moment. Praise God. Just look at me for a moment if your hand's up. Listen, this is a big deal. And I know from my own life, God can do more in a moment to change your life than you can ever see happen in a lifetime. And it, and it starts with a step of faith. I know this is a big deal. And I know you're saying, man, this is not something that I'm normally uh, used to doing, but I'm telling you, God honors faithfulness. So if you're looking at me now, would you just stand up? Cause I wanna pray over you personally, just right where you are, stand where you, where you are. If you're in the balcony, you stand. Thank you, brother. Just stand right now for a moment. And I'm gonna pray over you, praise God. People standing all over. So if, if you raised your hand, just stand up. Thank you. Don't miss this moment. Come when the Lord calls, you may not come at all. When was the last time you felt the presence of the Lord drawing you like this? I promise you that's the Holy Spirit. I promise you. Anyone else, you stand right where you are. Praise God. Hey, I wanna pray a special prayer over your life, very similar to one that was prayed over mine. Would you just make your way down here? I'm gonna ask you to kneel with me and I'm gonna kneel with you. Just come out of your seat. I promise you they'll let you out. And I'm gonna pray over you personally. And I'm gonna ask the Lord's blessing of your life and that God would pour out his presence upon you. The reason I'm asking you to do this is every person in the Bible who sought the Lord did it publicly. And so if you stood, would you just come? I promise you, they'll let you out the seat. If you need to grab the hand of your husband or your wife, you come, or your mom or your dad, praise God. Others are coming, they've made it easy for you. I promise you can come. Thank you, sister. Anyone else, you come. If you're on the balcony, we'll wait for you. We'll wait for you, praise God, you come. Amen. Praise God. Many have already come. If you need to come, you've been running for far too long. 
I've learned from my own life, you cannot outrun the Lord. And so if you need to come, praise God. Thank you, brother. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. People are still coming. If you need to come, just a moment longer. There's something about humbling oneself before a holy God. God honors that. God welcomes that. And so we're going to pray for that right now. Just bow with me. Thank you, brother. If you need to come, just come and bow down here. Father, we pray right now. If you're a believer in here, would you extend a hand right now and just pray over these men and women. Father, we're praying right now that we sense your presence, that you manifest your presence now. You're always with us because you live in us. But we pray right now, God, that you manifest your presence. God, I'm praying for these men and women who have come. And I don't know their situation, and I don't know their story, and I don't know the struggles in their life or their marriage or their personal life. I don't know the hurts or the habits or the hang-ups. I don't know the addictions. I don't know the sin. And I don't need to, because you do. And you have washed it away as far as the east is from the west. And you remove it from them and wash them as white as scarlet, white as snow. God, you take them red as scarlet and wash them white as snow. And I pray right now you remove the guilt and the shame from their life. Like a burden of a backpack removed, they would feel a lightness in their step. And their past does not predict their future. And so I pray right now, God, that they would cry out to you by confessing their sin. And God, just, just saying, acknowledging it, is confession enough. And so would you do that for the Lord? You just say, not, not, not out loud, but in the quietness of your own heart, God, I confess I'm a sinner. I know I've done some things against you. But I know you're a loving God who welcomes me back. And I don't have to be perfect because I know someone who was. Ask the Lord right now to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Ask him. God, I pray for a double portion of your blessing upon these men and women, and that you would give them the courage, not just to take a step forward, but to continue to walk in this life we call the Christian life. God, preparing for eternity one day. We love you, Jesus. We ask it in the only name we know how. And that's the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said,